So today we are celebrating Mother's Day, and since all of us had mothers, I'm sure that as part of the day there will be some time, if there hasn't been already, where you go back and, and remember a little bit. And if your mom's still with you, you can remember with her, and if, like some of us, you've already uh, lost your mom, those memories are maybe somewhat bittersweet. And I have such a collection of memories, but I was just thinking of... Uh, one of my memories of my mom, my mom was a really level-headed, calm, reserved um, person. And uh, some people thought she was real intimidating. And I didn't. She was my mom. You know, well, except if your mom's unhappy, then any mom's intimidating, right? But my mom really didn't get unhappy that much. But I remember this day that she got really mad at me. And uh, Sunday afternoons, we had this tradition, my mom and me, and not every Sunday afternoon, but often we'd be like, one of us would look at the other and say, hey, do you want to make a milkshake? And, you know, the answer was always yes. And so we get out the vanilla ice cream and the Hershey syrup and the milk. And we would make these ice, uh, we would make these uh, milkshakes and chocolate milkshakes. They were phenomenal. And I remember that one day we were making a milkshake and we put the ice cream in there. And I'd forgotten and I'd left the spoon in the blender. And I hit the button. And when I hit the button, the whole thing exploded. And so it went like everywhere in the kitchen and all up on the ceiling and everything else like that. And I just started dying laughing because I thought it was hilarious. My mom did not share my joy of the moment. And she got really, really mad at me. And I couldn't help it. And I, the more the matter she got, the, you know, I'm, you start laughing there. And then she finally turned around and looked at me because most of the milkshake had landed squarely on top of my head. And then she forgave me, right? And forgiveness is a good thing. And we're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness this morning. Because when we talk about Mother's Day, a lot of us have happy memories. Some of you may have unhappy memories. And I'm sorry for that. And if this day brings up some of those memories, I truly am sorry for the pain that, that may be caused there and for whatever reason. But, but Mother's Day and so many holidays even, remind us of something. They remind us of the importance of relationships. And relationships are so important in our lives. But not only do they remind us of the importance of relationships, they remind us of the challenge of relationships as well. And even when we get into our families, a lot of times there can be some significant challenges when it comes to relating to each other, even parent and child. You know, a mother is an imperfect person who gives birth to imperfect children who then have to live in an imperfect home with imperfect family members. And she's constantly taking imperfect information and she's getting imperfect feedback and she's trying to teach this imperfect offspring how to function in an imperfect world and among more imperfect people. And she's trying to do this while she's absolutely exhausted all the time. And it's no wonder that we end up with imperfect relationships. And it shouldn't be any surprise, really. What's a surprise to me, though, is that we can look to the Lord's Prayer to sort that situation through and to start to get some answers. And not by saying the prayer and reciting it, but we go to the Lord's Prayer because there's a line in this prayer that if we can get our heads around what it's teaching, it will help us in all of our relationships. And actually, we can reduce it to a single, simple word. 
that if we could get this word right, it would change everything in our relationships. And so we look this morning at Matthew chapter 6, verse number 12, to this next plank of the Lord's Prayer. And, and you could take the Lord's Prayer and pretty much separate it out into six requests. The first three are what we call the God request. Now we've moved into the personal request. Last week we talked about what that prayer, give us our daily bread, means. Well, today we get to that next plank and it says this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or maybe the wording that's more familiar to you comes from the King James, which says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But in this prayer and in this line, we're giving one word. And if we could master this one word, it would transform our relationships. And the word is forgiveness. Now, when I say the word forgiveness, what comes to your mind? What shows up on the screen of your mind? It's probably not some, what is that, 11-letter word. It's probably a face, like of your boss, who drives you absolutely crazy at work. Or maybe it's a friend who stabbed you in the back somewhere along the line or let you down. Or maybe it's your ex. Or maybe it's the next-door neighbor. But somewhere we have these pictures in our minds of a person when it comes to forgiveness or maybe even your mother. And you picture this person who has wronged you, who has offended you, who for you know whatever it is on the scale has done something against you. And when I say forgiveness, immediately what pops into our mind is the person that we need to forgive. But they don't come to our minds in the, oh, I need to forgive that mode. They come to our minds in the, the, oh, that person really has ticked me off, or that person really has wronged me, or I really don't like that person. And we go in that direction when we start to talk about forgiveness. And we start to think, that's great, but I don't know if I can. And our problem is that we don't understand this concept of forgiveness. Uh, Even more so, we don't understand the power of forgiveness itself. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to explore this idea of forgiveness by asking some questions. And so let's start the first question is this. What exactly is forgiveness? In this verse gives us a great hint as to what forgiveness is. It says this, forgive us our, and what's the word? Forgive us our debts. Forgiveness involves this concept of debt. And when we are wronged, something is taken from us. Maybe it's our joy. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe our dignity is taken from us. Maybe our value is taken from us. Maybe it's our well-being or our happiness or our freedom. But when we are wronged, that's why we get upset. It's because that person took something from us, and they took something from us that's of value to us. And we want it back. And if we can't get it back, we at least want there to be some form of retribution, right? Well, okay, you took my joy over here. I'm going to do this to take your joy over here. 
or you cost me something over here. I'm going to do something or I'm going to hope that something happens to you that costs you over there. You did the crime. You need to do the time, right? That's the mentality that we go to. And that's understandable because that's a concept that we call justice. And we care about justice because justice is actually something God created. And God put into our world, and we live with the sense of the fact that there is right and there is wrong. And we actually live with this sense, too, that there's some balance to it. That the, that right over here, when the right's not wrong, somehow that needs to be balanced. In fact, what do we have as the symbol of justice? Scales, right? And we live with this sense. But when we get to forgiveness, we move to a different concept. And we move to not balancing these scales of justice, but we move to actually canceling a debt. And that's what it means to forget. It means this. It means to cancel a debt. Payment might be appropriate. It might even be expected or desired. But when we get to forgiveness, we get to the place where we realize we're never going to get it. You owe me. What you did was wrong, but I realize that I'm never going to get paid back by you. And so I step away from that debt and I say, okay, I'm going to forgive that debt. And I'm going to walk away from it realizing that I'm going to be left forever with a deficit. This concept is demonstrated perfectly in a story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18. And so let me read that story for you here this morning. Peter came in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 21. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, oh, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents or several million dollars in today's money was brought to him. And since that man was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. The, um, The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Awesome story here. But when he canceled the debt, what happened? He lost several million dollars in the process that he was never going to get back. And when we talk about forgiveness, we talk about this idea of being willing to cancel a debt. You're never going to see it again, and you have to be okay with that. But we go on here, and we see in verse number 18, or excuse me, 28, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him several hundred denarii, or maybe 20 bucks. And he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the first servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled 
all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Since you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you, and in anger the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should be paid back all that he actually owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And so we see this concept in this parable here that Jesus shows that if we're going to forgive, we're going to have to be willing to take the loss. And sometimes that's hard because sometimes the loss is pretty big. And sometimes the hurt and the injury and the offense was pretty significant. That first debt was millions of dollars and it was never repaid. But that's what's involved with forgiveness. So we read that story, though, and immediately, just like the pictures that showed up on the screen or on the screen of our mind, we go to this question, well, who is it that I need to forgive? And all these people, family members, co-workers, neighbors, whatever they happen to be, they are the ones that we start thinking about, and we ask this question then, too. How in the world am I supposed to forgive that person? The problem with these questions is they're not the best question to go to next. How am I supposed to forgive that person? That's not what we should be asking. Who has wronged me that I need to forgive? That's not what we need to even be asking. The question that we need to ask deals with this face right here, and it's my face and it's your face. Because when I think about forgiveness, I start thinking about everybody around me that I might have to forgive and that I might struggle to forgive. When I need to start with me and all the reasons that I need to be forgiven. See, in that story that we just read of Jesus, it's really easy to put ourselves in the boat of the second person who can't get forgiven, who hasn't done very much, when the story is really told about us as the first person as the person who has such great debt that needs to be forgiven. And so when I start to go in the direction, well, where have I been wrong, and how can I find it into my, in myself to forgive, we're actually jumping ahead to the second part of the verse, or the second part of that prayer request, forgive us our debts as I forgive. And what we need to do is we need to stop and pause at the first part of that request and ask this question, whom have I wronged? And where do I need forgiveness? And the face that we need to see when we hear that word is the face of ourselves. So a better question would be this. How can I be forgiven or how can I find forgiveness? For most of us, we are typically more aware of the wrongs that have been done to us and the offenses that we've suffered than we are of the offenses that we've committed against other people and against God. And let me encourage us this morning as we talk about this idea of forgiveness to realize that it all starts with us. Not in that we forgive, but that in we find that we find forgiveness. I need to ask forgiveness. I need to find forgiveness. And I need to ask and find forgiveness of God. Because sin is first and foremost against Him. It typically involves other people as well. But it's against God. And this plank of the Lord's Prayer is this idea 
that I need to deal with my own sins and my own failures first. I need to start right here. So this prayer is asking me to acknowledge and to confess my sin. And most of us are not very good about that. In fact, if most of us are honest, most of our prayers don't involve a whole lot of confession. And yet Jesus says when he prays, this is how you should pray. And it's interesting that Jesus says that, isn't it? Because Jesus didn't have any sins to confess. So he's saying to us, here's how you need to pray. You need to pray and confess your sin. And in that confession, there's the assumption of repentance, even remorse, where I come and say, God, I need you to forgive me, and I'm sorry for what I've done. And then it takes it even beyond that, where it should move us towards forsaking so that we can be restored and so that we can live in a different direction. So when I sense I'm coming, forgive me my debts, forgive me my sins, I am so sorry that I have done that, and I don't want to go there again. Because I know that that's offensive to you, and that's painful to you. And we need to pray this way, but we don't do it very often in today's culture. I don't think there's a lot of confession that goes on, and I don't think there's a lot of confession that goes on in prayer. Why? Partly, I think, because we're not as conscious of sin as we should be. We kind of get used to what we do, and we don't take a lot of time to stop and evaluate whether that's right or whether that's wrong. And sometimes we just kind of pass off even our sins as, well, I made a mistake, or that's my weakness, or, yeah, I just struggle with that. And when we kind of excuse ourselves, or sometimes we even, you know, uh, justify what we did or rationalize our behavior. And we're really pretty bad about dealing with sin in our lives. We're not conscious of it, or we don't really have any aversion to it. We kind of actually enjoy it. We certainly don't go to any levels of sorrowing. And I think we need a greater awareness of sin. And I think this prayer should take us back to this place where we regularly, daily, as we pray... Spend some time to stop and think about, okay, where has there been wrongdoing? Where has there been sin? Where has there been offense in my life? See, we have names for sins, but somehow in naming our sins, we don't call them sins. So we could talk about gossip, but gossip is sin. And so when I've gossiped, I have sinned. And so when I pray, I'm saying, specifically, forgive me for my gossip. Maybe, yes, I forgive those who've gossiped against me. Forgive me for my lust, or forgive me for my worry, or forgive me for my gluttony, or for my hoarding, or for my complaining, or for my prioritizing other things more than God, or for entertaining myself with with things that are ungodly and displeasing to Him. Forgive me for my rudeness. Forgive me for my temper. Forgive me for my judgmental spirit. These are sins. And when we pray, we need to pause long enough to consider our sin. And if we're not aware, maybe we need to even take the step to say, God, make me aware. Because I need to get these on the table, and I need to deal with these, and I need to be forgiven. And the best part is, when we take our sins to God, and when we ask to forgive, with our millions of dollars of debt that we have, He cancels our debt. And He says what? I'll take that one on me. 
at no cost to you. And that's what the cross of Jesus Christ was about. There was a debt to be paid for all of those sins, your sins and my sins. And Jesus went to that cross, and the cross was about a debt being paid because justice is still a factor. And God said, we'll do justice, but we're going to do justice on this cross. And so Jesus died on a cross for our sins, my sins. That's why he was there. So he then offers forgiveness, and I don't have to pay him back. I don't have to carry the weight of those sins because they were nailed to his cross. And justice was served, but grace was also offered. And so instead of being penalized and having to pay the debt ourselves, what do we get? We get grace and we get God's favor, and we get God's goodness, and we get eternal life, and we get a relationship with the Father. And so when we pray, we need to pray, Father, forgive us. Father, forgive me, and He will forgive us. And He has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. And then as we deal with that part of the prayer, it prepares us for the second part of the prayer, which says what? Forgive me as I forgive my debtors. Forgive us as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And so that brings us to some more questions, though, as we explore this verse. And these are the questions that come to mind. This one. Why should I forgive? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? I forgive because I've been forgiven. I've received grace, so I'm going to extend grace. And the basis then is not on getting the scales leveled. The basis is what I've received over here is not what I deserved. So I'm going to be okay with giving you over here not what you deserve. So grace becomes the answer. And so I forgive because I have forgiven. And that should be reason enough. But there are more reasons for forgiving. So I forgive because I've forgiven, but I also forgive because at some level, my receiving forgiveness is dependent upon my granting it. The prayer that we pray there is forgive as I forgive. So this, my forgiveness over here has some impact on what's working over here. If you go to the end of the Lord's Prayer, right after it, verses 14 and 15 in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In the story that we read earlier in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 35, Jesus finished this, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And I'm not exactly sure how this concept works. I just know that Jesus said it in this prayer. He says it in this parable, and actually he says it several times throughout the course of the gospel we have it recorded, that if we expect to be forgiven, we need to be forgiving ourselves. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I do know it means this much. It means that my spiritual relationship with God is going to be affected by my relationship with others. And when I have bitterness or a lack of forgiveness in my story, it's going to affect my relationship with God. 
And so when we hold on to unforgiveness or hold on to bitterness, we do incredible harm to ourselves spiritually at some level. Well, that might be another good reason then to forgive. I need to forgive a third reason here so that I can experience release and relief. When I hold on to an offense, what I end up doing is is replaying it and reliving it over and over again. And so I continue to experience it. And the impact just grows deeper and the grooves cut deeper in my own heart and in my own soul. And when I practice forgiveness, it releases me from that person. It releases me from that situation. It releases me from that power. And that person no longer has power over me. That situation no longer has a way to define me. And I find forgiveness, or I find freedom rather, instead. And so I am released from what happened, and I am given freedom in its place. And instead of having to keep going into the past and dwelling there, I can walk into a new chapter of life saying, okay, that's done, and I am moving on here. And so forgiveness is a gift that we give ourselves as much as it is something that we give somebody else. And that's why we struggle. It's like, I don't want to let you off the hook. You can just eliminate that whole concept over there, and you can go with this one, but I want to set myself free, and you have reason enough for forgiveness. Forgiveness, another reason why we should forgive is so that we can get out of God's way. God is the ultimate dispenser of justice, and he says that he will balance the scales. But when we get in the way of doing it, he steps back. And he tells us elsewhere, he says, hey, vengeance is mine. Let me take care of it. And you separate yourself, remove yourself from the situation so that I can deal with it the most appropriate way. And when we practice forgiveness, what we do is we take it out of our hands and we put it in God's hands. And we say, you know what? I'll let go of that. And if I'm never repaid, that's fine. Here, God, you can have this and you can do with it whatever you see fit. And God will do what's right. And so we have all these reasons to forgive. And yet we still struggle with forgiveness. Why is forgiveness so hard? Let me just give you some ideas here. Why forgiveness is hard. It violates our sense of justice. I've talked a lot about that. But when I forgive, and especially some of us are more wired to be justice people than others, but when I forgive, it just rubs me the wrong way because it's not right that you get off the hook. And our sense of justice is offended. It cost me, it should cost you somehow. And the fact that you say, sorry, that's not really good enough, okay? Because I don't want you to walk away scot-free. Some of us go there. Now, let me just say with this, though, when we talk about forgiveness and talking about letting go or talking about canceling debt, that doesn't, we're not talking about permissiveness. So forgiveness is not just saying, do whatever you want. I don't really care. I'll just live with it. You may have to address it and say, no, 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 this is wrong. But you address it and then you move past this. So forgiveness is not permissiveness. And so when I say forgive, you know, it's like, well, I'm just setting myself up to have this happen over and over again. No, you're not. You can deal with the situation, but you may have to let go of that justice a little bit. It doesn't mean that all consequences are canceled. You know, when, when, when the teenager gets a speeding ticket and loses his keys, he may be forgiven for getting the ticket, but there's still consequences that come with that. 
And when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about canceling all consequences. It doesn't even mean forgetting. Or that things will go back to the way that they were beforehand, all right? So if you're a justice person, you're saying, well, I don't want to be permissive. You don't have to be permissive. Or, you know what, I don't, um, you know, there are still consequences. Yeah, you can still have consequences. You can go in all these directions, but you still need to realize that that debt is not going to be paid, and you need to move past that. Sometimes I think it's hard for us to forgive because it removes a weapon from our hand. When I forgive, I can never, excuse me, when I forgive, I can no longer use whatever you've done against me as a weapon against you. So I can't say, well, remember when you did that? Or, well, that situation and how you acted? I have to let go of these things. I have to let go of pulling that out and using it in a later time. I have to let go of putting you on my bad list. I even have to let go of um, beating you up or, or, or treating you poorly. Maybe a bit better way to say it. For, for what, something that you've done in the past where I haven't moved on. And so... We need to let go of the situation. Sometimes we struggle with forgiveness because I have to deny myself then the dark satisfaction of brooding. For some reason, when we've been hurt or offended or injured, we like to go back there and feel sorry for ourselves. And forgiveness means that I can't do that anymore. And that should be a good thing, but for some reason we struggle with that sometimes. And we need to get away from that, and it means that I can, even those dark thoughts where I imagine bad things happening to you. I never do it. But I imagine those things happening. We have to let go of those things too. But that's why it's hard to forgive. I think another reason why it's hard to forgive happens when we're afraid that we'll be taken advantage of. Well, if I forgive you this time, you're just going to do it again, right? Or maybe there's even those times when somebody doesn't even ask for forgiveness. They just did what they were going to do. And they just went on their merry way and you've been hurt and injured. Okay, and, and so they become issues of deservedness. Here's the deal with all of that, though. All these reasons why we hesitate to forgive, it's that $20 debt compared to the million-dollar debt that we've experienced ourselves. And here's what happens. I put this point, and if you're filling in blanks, forgiveness, why we struggle to forgive is because it makes us feel defenseless. And I'm not able to protect myself from further injury or from further harm. I'm not able to make it right. All these different thoughts go through our head. But really, it comes back to this. And what we need to be able to say is, you know what? I'm not going to worry about defending myself. I'm going to let God defend me in this situation. Well, as we conclude this morning, let me just throw this out. I think you can live life with two different mindsets. I think you can live life with a justice mindset. And justice is a godly characteristic, right? But we need to leave justice to God sometimes. But justice mindset, we see everything as black and white. We see everything as right and wrong. And we have all these expectations. And we walk around with our rule book and we expect everybody to follow the rule book. And when they don't follow the rule book, we pounce on them. Or, or, you know, when they don't follow the rule book and they've offended us, and legitimately so, we're still mad and angry and whatever, offended by that because they didn't follow the rules. The problem is with that, too, 
sometimes we actually violate the rule book ourselves. But because we live in this justice world, we can't ever get it out there in the open. And so we throw up all these false fronts and we hide behind them in our hypocrisy and our self-righteousness. And justice puts us into a world that, that lives that way, where, where it's, it's all balancing scales and it's all about uh, rectifying the wrong. and whatever. Here's what justice does to us, though. When we, when we live with that mindset, it gives us really lousy relationships. Because it's always about, did this person live up to expectations? Did this person do it all perfectly? Did this person treat me the way that I deserve to be treated? Did this person... And it's always measuring the performance of the other person. And it always brings us relationally into bad places. There is another option here. And it's the option of grace. And it's where we live with more gray areas, and that's difficult. But it's where we give people a little bit of space. It's where people don't have to be perfect. And we're okay with that. And people around us know that they're okay without having to be perfect. And it's a whole lot better air to breathe, isn't it? When we live in the world of grace and where people's value is found in who they are and not so much in what they do. And that doesn't mean that you can't have expectations. And that doesn't mean that you abandon right and wrong. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that we live extending the same grace to other people that God extends to us. And that's what he intends for us. And you know what it does for us, though? It gives us good relationships. And forgiveness and grace are not the same thing, but they live in the same space. And at the beginning of this of the message, I, I talked about if you want one word that will make your relationships better, it's forgiveness. But if you want forgiveness, you're going to have to experience and learn and demonstrate grace. That's what it comes down to. Jesus said this when you pray, pray this. Forgive me as I forgive. So this morning probably... From the very start, as I've been talking about this, there's been somebody whose maybe face came up that you're like, oh, this person's really wronged me or harmed me or offended me or whatever like that. Okay, the answer is going to be forgiveness. But you can start with seeing Jesus' face and realizing how much he's forgiven you. And then when you've realized how much he's forgiven you, you can extend that same grace to other people. And when you do, your relationships are going to be transformed.